Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Before the game kicks off, let's ramp it up with college football overtime. Here's, here's, here's Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Florida State and Florida. This is the Sunshine Showdown, the game that, uh, the title that I, you tell me that nobody actually uses. But <laughs> my my biggest overarching question for this game is, I'm, I'm assuming yours is too, what does Florida State and this Seminole offense look like without T- Jordan Travis? He is without question their most important player i think he could he has a claim of being the single most important player to any team of anybody any team in the country and i want to see what he what this team looks like without their undisputed leader at quarterback and tate road tate rotomaker can he step in he's been on the bench for a little while he's been sitting behind jordan travis for a number of years can he just step in and and what is that transition like there is this is about as difficult of a football game for you to step into making your first collegiate start. Uh, I, I don't feel, I, I feel pretty rough for Tate Roadmaker here in this game, but what are your thoughts on this game? Florida, Florida state. I know you have some, um, some ties to this football game. So speak on that. And then what's your, what are your thoughts for this game overall? Well, it's interesting because you're dealing with the same problem from both teams. Uh, I, I know you mentioned Jordan Travis and the gruesome injury, but Graham Mertz is not going to be available either. He, he <laughs> had some issues with his, clavicle or collarbone and and it's going to be max brown for the the florida gators so you've got questions for both teams i was actually very confident florida was going to win this game um before both injuries um when travis goes down and you do still have graham Mertz, just the way the timeline worked out i was like oh florida's definitely winning this game now i've brought it back into a little bit more doubt because i just don't know what you're getting from florida or from florida state Uh, from the florida state perspective the thing to me is the playmakers have not changed. This is not about Rotomaker. This is about the offensive coordinator, the head coach, and your play callers and your design. Mm-hmm. You get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. You are not asking Rotomaker to do anything else except find ways to get the ball to Wilson, Bell, Coleman. Let those guys pick up the extra slack. It's their job to do the work. It's not Rotomaker's job to do the work. That's my opinion. Yeah, and now I want to see Florida, Trey Benson. Trey Benson in yeah. particular is somebody who I'm going to be looking at to take a, a big step forward. Go ahead. From the Florida perspective, <clears throat> I think you're probably looking at a different offense. Max Brown is a much more athletic quarterback than Graham Mertz. We haven't seen much from his arm, but we know he can run. We we saw that in, in the very bits and pieces that we, we've got to see him against a very good defense against Missouri, and he led some, some drives uh, in that game. So – 
I'm interested to see how the Florida Gators adjust their offense. And for both guys, for both guys who had to come in spur of the moment, very limited action this year, and just kind of roll with it. What does that one week of practice that they've now had mean to each guy? What does it mean to Max Brown and them opening up the pass game from what we saw uh, against Missouri, where he was a very run-heavy option, quarterback runs sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then same thing for Rotomaker, the timing, the consistency, the chemistry, because he'd been running with the twos. He hasn't had time with the ones. For both guys, what does it mean on offense? This is a game that is at the Swamp. I'm normally not a, well, it's a rivalry game, so anything can happen. Uh, But you mentioned it on, on our last podcast. The way Florida played against Missouri shows you that they have not given up on this season. They have not given up on their coach. And they are one win away from getting to a bowl game. A night game at the Swamp, even for number four. Even if it were, Jordan Travis would be very dangerous for Florida State. Excuse me, number four, now number five. My apologies. But um, I think this is a very dangerous spot for Florida State. I, I, I think... For anyone who questions, um, would Florida State not make it in if they won these last two games? I think you see what's going to happen Saturday. Um, if Rotomaker could come out and win this game, that is a big, big boost for Florida State. Uh, I still do like Florida. Um, I, I just think they're desperate. I think they're playing hard. Um, and I just think Max Brown is ready for his moment. It'll look different. Um, but I, I think you you see some interesting offense. I think ETN, the quarterback run, uh, you keep it on the ground and see what happens. But, um, boy, this is a really, really good one that took some interesting, pardon the pun, knocks um, last week. And th- this is one that because of these variables, honestly, Garrett, anything could happen in the swamp on Saturday night. I think this makes for one of the most interesting games on Saturday. Um, just in general, because just surely because of the unknown factor, I, I think that tends to favor the home team, uh, just in general, um, because you're playing in the confines of your, of your home stadium, you have your fan base and everybody uh, there behind you. And I think that's going to make, that's going to be the difference for me. Can Florida keep this within striking distance? Um, don't get burned by big plays because that's what Florida state loves to do. But obviously what is Florida State without Jordan Travis? Like, I think that's there are so many unknowns in this game. I, I really don't know what direction to go with it, and I think it makes for for massive upset pati- uh, intrigue. Uh, Florida is a desperate football team, like you said, and and yeah, I mean, look, they rallied and played very hard for for Billy Napier uh, just as a team, and I think that they run the ball effectively enough to cause Florida State some problems. And I think you said it really well. I mean, your backup guy is an athletic quarterback who gets out and moves with his legs. And I think they're going to have some some option runs put together, and I think that's going to cause some headaches for Florida State. And you pair that with the home crowd, I think it makes for very interesting potential. But, look, Florida State's had their back against the wall for, for a number of different games and a number of different times this season, so they could come out and roll because I don't know what to expect. Like, so it's, it just makes for a very interesting contest. Um, just one last thing there is, and you mentioned it, uh, what is this Florida State team without Jordan Travis? And we'll find out. 20 touchdowns, only two interceptions. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's a very key number. They have been very careful with the ball. Normally you win turnover margin, you win games. So that's another sure. aspect to look at for both teams. Uh, Max Brown, if he's scrambling, is he hold on to the ball? Is he careful with his passes? But 
for Roadmaker too. Yeah, absolutely. And a Florida win would also just usurp the the ACC and as far as the college football playoff conversation goes, because a loss for Florida State would likely eliminate the entire conference. It's Um, over. It would. There's there's no likely. It would it would be done. And I think that there is no team that would be more happy to do something like that than the University of Florida to their their good friends in Tallahassee. But that should make for a very interesting game. The Sunshine Showdown, as nobody calls it. Um, The Clemson in South Carolina, the Palmetto Bowl. I don't know if anybody calls it the Palmetto Bowl, but that's what people call it. That's what they, that's what Google told me at least. I know that it's just Clemson and South Carolina. I know it's two teams who really hate each other. <laughs> they don't like each other a lot. Uh, South Carolina won this game last year in just a, an incredible comeback fashion at Clemson. Um, this year, South Carolina is looking to win its sixth game of the season, its fourth game in a row, and finish the game off the season off with a bowl bid. Uh, for Shane Beamer and company. This is a much better football team when they play at home. Last week, we saw a defense win the day. They Generally, they, they had won with offense, uh, with Spencer Rattler scoring 37 points or more in every home contest this season. They won with 17 against Kentucky. Uh, I know we talked about that on Monday when uh, we had our reaction show right here on College Football Overtime, and I said, like, if you would come to me at some point before the game and said that that South Carolina is only scoring 17 points, I would have said they got blown out, but they won. And maybe that means that South Carolina is figuring something out. I don't really know as far as that's concerned. I do know that a really talented defense is rolling into town from Clemson, South Carolina. They have uh, memories of, of what happened last year, and they have uh, some malcontent to, to deal with in this game, and they want to get right after the loss last year. And and look, Clemson's playing at a high level right now. They're rolling. I think they're coming in. They're a dangerous squad, fresh off of a win against North Carolina, Georgia Tech, and Notre Dame. They look like a completely renewed team for Dabo Sweeney. This is going to be an interesting one. Two teams with a bit of a blood feud uh, and only one team with really something to lose. Yeah, you said more on this game than I'm going to. I, I look at it from this for a second. You said South Carolina may have figured some things out. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. Clemson has. Clemson unequivocally has figured something out. They are playing their yeah. best ball uh, of the year, and they are looking for some get back for what happened a year ago. And I expect them to go into williams Bryce and absolutely handle business. Mm. I, I do not think this is going to be a competitive game. I think I'm not saying Clemson is back to where they were a couple uh, years ago or even what we thought they might be at the start of this season, but they are they are back at a level that the Gamecocks cannot compete with. Um, and, and I think they walk in and serve up a little bit of a revenge for what happened last year, um, prevent South Carolina from going to a bowl, which is a little bonus for the Clemson fans, uh, and march on into a bowl game themselves. Yeah, I think that's going to make for a very interesting game. I know this game means a lot to the people over there in the Palmetto State. Um, I tend to agree with you. I think Clemson's just playing at a high level right now. I think they figured something out. The physicality that they're going to be playing with is just going to be too much for for South Carolina, but Look, Shane Beamer. I mean, we—they look like a different team this down this stretch. Uh, they've won four games, three games in a row, um, ever since that disaster of a loss to Florida, where they fell apart in that fourth quarter. They've sort of—they look like they figured something out, or it's just a product of the teams they've played. It's Jacksonville State, it's Vanderbilt, and it's Kentucky. So I think that we're going to learn something about South Carolina, and it, I don't know if it's going to be a good thing on Saturday against Clemson. Uh, let's move into our Thursday matchup. The Egg Bowl, one of my favorite games of the entire season. Ole Miss and Mississippi State, something insane always seems to happen 
whether it's a, a football player who pees like a dog or a, a, a gust of wind blocking a field goal, something insane just seems to happen in the Egg Bowl. Um, this year, Ole Miss is looking to potentially go play in a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, so th- if they win this game, they would be potentially on their way, depending on what happens, maybe in some other contests around the country. But Ole Miss has had a, st- a, a fantastic season. This game last year, you had the Lane Kiffin drama off the field. Uh, that was a bit of a detractor in this game. I don't see any of that happening necessarily this year. Um, Mississippi State seems to be a program that, I mean, they just have to fire their head coach. The, I don't really know if they have much of a direction right now, but it's the Egg Bowl. There's always something insane that happens, and it's happening in Starkville. Abe, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, this might be the running theme of rivalry week is is teams trying to keep their opponents from bowl games. You know, Florida State can do so by beating Florida. We just mentioned Clemson can do so by beating South Carolina. And Ole Miss can do so by beating Mississippi State. Um, And I'll be honest, I I, I think Ole Miss is trending the way they want to trend right now. And I just don't Mm -hmm. see much from Mississippi State. I think Ole Miss is looking to find a way to get into that New Year's Six uh, discussion, as you mentioned, uh, maybe finish the year a- as a top 10 program, which would be uh, pretty cool for them and, and for Lane Kiffin. Uh, obviously, they hope to win the SEC West and compete for the college football playoffs. That's out mm. the window this year, but mm. um, I-, I just don't see much for them. I think they closed the season on a real high note. Jackson Dart uh, had a great game a week ago, and uh, we'll probably continue that at uh, – at at Davis Wade Stadium on on uh, Thursday night. So uh, if you get tired of the NFL action on Thursday, remember there is one heck of a rivalry on Thursday night. No, screw screw the NFL. This is no, oh, come on. on. That's screen. why you get two TVs. Come nah, on. this is going on the big screen. Uh, Egg Bowl is chaos. Chaos. It'll be on the big screen for about sip eight minutes. Sip on some bourbon. Sip on some bourbon and let the. Let, let the good folks from Mississippi <laughs> entertain you for the evening, man. Lane Kiffin and company. There's always that would not be, be the first time happening. the folks from Mississippi have been entertaining. So <laughs> it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Ole Miss, of course, last week had the the really weird first half against Louisiana Monroe before they snapped back into it. Eventually, winning that game, thirty-five to three. Weird, weird game from them. A be- kind of a bounce back from that hangover from that beatdown that they took in Athens against Georgia, 52 to 17. Um, but look, at the end of the day, this is one of those rivalries. You beat, you beat Mississippi state, everything else, nothing else matters. Like if you beat Ole Miss, nothing else matters. Both of these teams hate each other and, and they want nothing more than to beat each other up on Thanksgiving, but let's move on. Texas A&M at LSU uh, has all the makings of a fascinating rivalry, Abe, uh, I really have one big thought about this game because Texas A&M obviously is new head coach is on the way. I don't, we don't know who it is yet. Um, but I, I think they're, they're going to start their interview processes here in a little bit. Uh, but LSU, they got a quarterback who's looking to win a Heisman trophy. This is his last opportunity to make an impression on the committee. He doesn't have the the benefit that, that a Bo Nix or, or a Michael Penix or one of these other guys have, or even a Carson Beck, if you want to put him out there. He won't have the benefit of playing a 13th game. So that is a meaningful thing. He has to make his impact felt in this game. We saw it last week when they played Georgia State. He had 540 yards or something like that, eight touchdowns. He's going to have to do something kind of like that in a game on on Saturday against Texas A&M. Yeah, I think his coach understands that. I think Brian Kelly has got a read on this situation. And 
look, he knew he was going to match Bo Nix and then surpass him in the second half. That that was done intentionally um, with, with respect to Georgia State. Uh, they're going to do that again. Uh, if given the opportunity, they're going to run up the score. They're going to run up Jaden Daniel stats. And it's exactly what I expect to happen in this game. Obviously, the AM program is kind of all over the place uh, right now. And, and I just think LSU, even with the defense they have, uh, this feels like a three or four touchdown separation between these two teams I, I just think at every opportunity to get Jaden Daniels a touchdown or build those stats Thomas and neighbors are going to do it uh, I think once you're in the red zone you look for him to run the ball into the end zone himself um, this is a big uh, stat pattern to try and win a Heisman that's what I'm looking for on Saturday yeah I, I don't think it's quite that easy um, this is still a pretty good Texas A&M squad uh, plenty talented and they have plenty to play for they still have um I mean, look, this is the team that I expect a number of these guys are going to jump into the portal, depending on who it's going to be. So you, you talk about an audition for Jaden Daniels for the college or the, excuse me, for the Heisman Trophy Committee. It's just as much a, a one of those situations for, for these players at Texas A&M. These guys are potentially playing for their next program. Um, they're, they're looking to, to put on an audition and, and, and show that they can still play um, because they're very talented. They're very, very good over there. Uh, at Texas A&M, but I think it's going to make for an interesting game. Jaden Daniels, I'm, I'm sure, is going to be doing everything he can to stat those or pad those stats. That's going to be the biggest storyline for me in that football game. Last one, or excuse me, Missouri and Arkansas. I want to get into this one before we get into the Iron Bowl. Uh, the battle line rivalry, which is one of the gaudiest trophies in college football. It's just a massive trophy. Um, Missouri is looking to finish the season 10 and to lock up a New Year's Six Bowl um meanwhile this is arkansas's bowl game they're far from eligibility they won't make it um but they could close out the season winning three of its last four games sam Pittman has already been announced that he is going to be the head coach of the arkansas razorbacks in 2024 whatever your opinion is on that on that matter he could end this season on a really high note and he could end it with a punctuating win over a top 10 opponent in missouri that would really i want to say all is forgiven necessarily but it would help propel some momentum into the upcoming season. Uh, it would certainly uh, reconfirm the decision to keep him, which was a questionable one for me uh, after the week. And it, it might look even more questionable based on what happens here. Look, Every time I watch Missouri and we talked about it um, and I watched them obviously very closely a week ago because it was a game that they won at the end against my Florida Gators. Every time I watch them, I just come away more and more impressed. Um, obviously last week was a little bit of a setback based on their expectations, but I, I do expect them, um, to, to go handle business once again. And you talked about Ole Miss, uh, hanging and clinging to new year's six hopes. And obviously same thing for Missouri. Um, they look, their college football playoff hopes are non-existent. Uh, they're two loss team. Um, but I, I do think it is realistic to keep them in that discussion for a new year's six game. Uh, but to do that, they have to beat Arkansas. I expect Drinkowitz to have his guys focused and ready. And uh, you just have to wonder if keeping Pittman was the right move. But boy, like you said, uh, certainly could galvanize the players. And we'll see what happens on Saturday in this one. It could prove uh, to really spur a, a huge upset if that's the case. Yeah, and this is an Arkansas team that wants to run the football. When they run for 120 yards or more, they're 3-2. and two. Uh, and those two losses are by one score to LSU and Brigham Young, BYU. Um, when it does run for 120 yards or fewer, it's one in five. And that one win is over Western Carolina. 
Missouri has allowed more than 120 rushing yards in four of its last six games. So we'll see what happens there. But I think Cody Schrader at the end of the day, Brady Cook and company burden. They got too much to play for. I'd be hard pressed to think that Arkansas gives them enough of a challenge here in this game, no matter where it's played. Uh, but it is being played over there in Arkansas. Uh, quickly, Vanderbilt and Tennessee. I almost forgot about this one. I feel almost bad by saying that. Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. We love them. It's Vanderbilt. Uh, they're going on the road to play Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee, the loser of two bad, bad football games uh, in which they the, the margin of victory is not even worth getting into. It's been that brutal uh, for Josh Heupel and company. But they are still ranked in the top 25. Uh, but they're holding on by a thread. I don't really know why they're still in the top 25. That's not really the point. The point is they have a chance to finish their season off on a high note with a win over in-state rival Vanderbilt. Uh, I don't really see much standing in their way of that. No, I, I look, th- this is a situation where you should be winning this thing comfortably at halftime. You may even get a look at the future, may get a look at Nico in the second half, but uh, there's no reason for this to be uh, a competitive affair. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is we really want to see what Nico looks like. We talked about we talked with the voice of the Tennessee Volunteers on Saturday. Um, there's always clamoring for that backup quarterback. Uh, I think they'll finally get their wish on Saturday. Well, maybe we'll see what he looks like. But, Abe, I do want to finish with the biggest game in the SEC, what some people consider, many people consider, as the best rivalry in all of college football. It is the Iron Bowl. Um, Auburn and Alabama being played at Jordan-Hare Stadium in Auburn, Alabama. Honestly, my biggest question um, for either team, for Alabama, can it continue to roll? Can it overcome a home field advantage for Auburn? Um, they really haven't been tested all that much on the road this year. Their biggest games have all been have all come at Bryant. So I, I do have that question mark about Alabama. Um, did they play Texas? Because they played Texas A&M. I'm just going off the top of my head here. Did they play Tex- at Texas A&M? I think they did, and they struggled in that game. Um, but LSU, Tennessee, all of those games happened at home. This is a big game. Playing at Jordan-Hare Stadium, 3.30 on Saturday on CBS. Last game ever on CBS, by the way, for the Iron Bowl, which is a weird thought. Um, but I think that's going to be an interesting thing for Alabama. But for Auburn, how do they respond after last week's debacle? Because that was an embarrassing affair. You lose to New Mexico State, not just lose, you get blown out by New Mexico state in just a, a debilitatingly awful, awful performance. Uh, Abe, what are your thoughts on here? Well, look, I don't want to overreact to Auburn's loss a week ago. That was your prototypical look ahead trap game loss. And so whatever, I guess, <laughs> Even that, but what I mean is like, take that, take that game away. Sure. Nothing else matters anymore. I, 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 I never expected anything from Auburn in this game. What do they have to offer me in this game? They don't have quarterback play. I don't believe they can run the ball. And I don't think they can stop Alabama on defense. Uh, I don't care that this is at Auburn. I don't care that this is the Iron Bowl and a rivalry game. I see no way that Alabama is in trouble in this game in the fourth quarter. I'm not saying it never happens. That's why you play the games. It's not on paper. You line up and you get the job done. But uh, I, I just think that they're way too talented, and there's a large separation between these two teams. I know you talk about Alabama hasn't been tested on the road. You know what? Neither was Georgia. They went up to Neyland, and they blew the doors off the place. It was quiet in the second quarter. I think the same thing happens in the Iron Bowl. Uh, I I just don't see what Auburn has to compete with Alabama. I mean, Hugh Freeze was brought in here to win this football game, plain and simple. 
down um, the road, he was brought in to win last week's football game this year. <laughs> Forget was. this one. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Um, look, I, I think Auburn has to force Alabama into a couple uncharacteristic mistakes. This is still an Alabama team that gets penalized at a high level. Um, there's a path to victory is all I'm saying. Like there is a path to victory. This is not a this is not an unbeatable Alabama squad. I think that they look like a much much improved unit from what we saw earlier in the season. I think that if they can somehow get Alabama to play that style and knock around Jalen Milrow a little bit on defense, that's really my only thought here. That's the only way that they can really get something going. They have to pressure Jalen Milrow and get him on the ground because. When Jalen Milrow is able to escape and make plays with his legs and then throw the ball down the field, that's where he destroys you. And and then you start pressing and then you make, get out of your offense and then you're you're done. It's over. Um, Auburn is not built to sustain a or to win a game like that. They have to win this low scoring slobber knocker of a football game where they have to muck it up as much as possible. And they do that by forcing mistakes, getting pressure on Jalen Milrow, letting the crowd be a factor and in your face, and then forcing turnovers. And I think that is your path. I think it's an unlikely path. Yeah. But we've seen Auburn do these kinds of things before against a much more formidable Bryce Young and company. They did this last time that they played here at Jordan-Hare Stadium. It took a miraculous fourth-quarter drive from Alabama to win this football game. Weird things happen when Alabama comes to Auburn, and it just happens every other year. It just seems to to take place. Two years before that, Bo Nix and company beat this Alabama team. And they had no business in that game either. So it just weird things happen in this game. And I, I'm it's absolutely gonna be on my screen just because it's it's obviously the 330 game and very well worth watching uh every single year that it happens. 